The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Now, we all want excitement and, and action in our life, meaning and purpose. But on the other hand, we also seek after contentment and serenity. And uh, some of you might have seen that movie, The Castle, the Australian comedy movie where, where they go down to the, they're, they're down on the water at Bonnie Doon with their speedboat and the main character just stands on the, on the veranda and gives a deep sigh and says, can you feel the serenity? That's what we want, serenity. Well, let's start thinking a bit more about serenity before Ian Power comes to speak to us. Serenity now! Serenity now! Serenity now. Serenity now! Remember, you shut up! Hello? Is Kramer home? Serenity now. Shut up! Serenity now! Oh, well, that's just great! Serenity now! Serenity now! I love you, Jerry. Right back at you, Slick. Serenity now. Insanity later. Well, for those who hate uh, Seinfeld, I apologize for that. But, um... It is, uh, there are lots of techniques people use to try and find some peace, and one is just to demand it, serenity now. Um, quite a lot of my friends are, are engaged in various sorts of meditation, and when they talk about they need to do more to go to the ashram again, uh, to go and have more courses, it obviously works, and meditation has been shown to have certain effects on the brain if you do it with enough discipline, enough concentration. And there are for many people just to have some time where you deliberately slow down in our, the madness of life. But everyone is seeking in various ways uh, some level of peace of mind. The UN, of course, is a different case altogether. That's to deal with the obvious uh, exteriors of battle and war. Their soldiers with the blue hats are often called peacekeepers. And uh, I've always thought the UN had failed substantially in its mission, but my son-in-law, who's an academic in the area of political studies, says, no, no, it, it, it's actually been remarkably successful because apparently its main purpose in being set up was to avoid World War III. So they have managed to kind of do that. But I have more been aware of it in smaller conflicts, like a friend of mine from the Congo who said that when people in his area, uh, when the UN arrived, they were terrifically relieved. But then they discovered that what the UN soldiers were under orders to do was that when groups of uh, various soldiers and horror militia would come through, the UN would withdraw and then come back and count the bodies, which the people in the Congo didn't think was all that helpful, really. So they realised the worst thing that could happen in your village was for the UN soldiers to withdraw, and they just knew that was time to flee. But all of us seek various levels of peace, serenity. I think in our, the odd thing in our culture is we've got so much peace, so little danger of war. Really, we can walk most streets in our city with relative peace, and yet... Uh, we're an anxious and stressed culture. So people go for meditation, 
medication, some worked out by a doctor, some just done on our own, an awful lot of drinking and the use of various drugs is an attempt to soothe our, um, the frayedness of our lives. Uh, there, are, there are many levels of um, distress that seek peace. Um, the, you know, I've, I've got here that you spell them fat. There's fear, anxiety and terror. These are the great enemies, obviously, of peace. Fear, as against anxiety, has got a specific focus. You know what you're afraid of. Um, that's your concern. Anxiety, one of the difficulties in dealing with anxiety is it's generally seen to be an unfocused sense of dis-ease. So you might be able to put your finger on it. You might be going really well. You might have good health. You might be well paid. You might be on a tropical island somewhere, but still be troubled with, with angsty thoughts. And that's one of the reasons it's so hard to deal with. It just has a general sense of though things are good, they can quickly enough go ill. Um, terror, of course, is um, fear on steroids. They speak about it in the very pinnacle of Western culture uh, where people get paid outrageous sums of money because they're obviously terribly clever is the stock market. But they'll regularly use words like terror and bloodbath and panic. Um, you know, this whole thing that is so important for the, in the end, sadly, even people that don't even know what shares are, they get hit when that whole thing goes mad, as it does and as it will. Uh, my friends who are economists, one of them laughed at me for asking advice about the GFC. And I said, why would you ask me? He said, well, I said, you've worked for 30 years in international banking. You've got a dirty big PhD on your wall. He says, yes. He says, and what has the GFC shown except that economists don't know a single thing about what's happening? But just after the crisis they didn't see coming, we go and ask them for advice. Uh, there's this general sense of disease. I mean, I don't know how your superannuation is going. I don't understand mine. But every, everyone tells me I should be worried about it. There's, there's plenty to be frightened. Now, humans have always been an anxious species. In fact, most life is anxious. A moment's thought shows that life is full of difficulties. We get cranky because it is, because somewhere along the line in the West we picked up the idea life shouldn't be difficult, but it is. And it's dangerous. And fundamentally, it's deadly in the end. And that causes a level of concern. And if you don't get anxious and don't get a bit fearful, you're probably not going to survive. Because being anxious and being fearful and sometimes being just absolutely terrified gets all the adrenaline going, it gets the system working you know, powerfully and you can act to survive. And then you have, in the middle of it, something like Psalm 23, which is probably one of the most popular parts of the Bible and for very good reasons for human beings, where it starts off like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23, and Psalm is just the sort of Hebrew, the Bible word for songs. In the middle of the Bible are 150 songs, the, the book of Psalms. And um, one of the images that the Bible often uses of you, see how this makes you feel. Um, the Bible will often speak of human beings. Jesus will speak of human beings, you and me, as sheep. That's nice, isn't it? It's funny because uh, Christianity gets hammered at every side for its view of human, human beings. Uh, it's, it's not uncommon for some of the modern atheists to mock Christianity for its high view of humans. 
for our view that there is actually some link and some likeness between us and God. And they, they mock us as if we made this up with no idea of the size of the universe. Don't you realize that you're a trivial, insignificant speck on a trivial, insignificant speck of a planet on the outer suburbs of the universe? You ain't worth nothing, the arrogance of you people. Of course, they don't really believe that in their heart of hearts. They believe they're important too. Uh, but we believe that because that's what God says to us. But the other thing that Christians get in trouble for is that it's the view, the realistic view it has of us like a mist. I don't like the way the Bible says I'm like a mist. I don't feel like a mist. I don't move with the grace of a mist. I don't, you know, but this idea that we just come and go, we're like a wildflower, one of those desert flowers that does its whole life cycle in a day, or like a sheep. Because I think sheep are contemptible animals, frankly. I don't like them. I don't respect them. I like eating them. And I like wearing what they wear once it's been washed and dealt with. But, um, you know, this is the Bible consistently speaks of you and I like sheep and our need for a shepherd. We don't, it's hard for us if you're an Australian um, who's been brought up watching, you know, pictures of drovers and things like that. You can just dump sheep out in a paddock because there's no lions and wolves and bears, which there were in the Middle East at the time of when this psalm was written. And I tell you what, you're not the only person that likes a lamb chop. Bears, lions, wolves, pretty keen on it. And uh, you have a sheep out there without a shepherd and it's an endangered sheep and it's got a short expectation of life. It's as good as dead. A sheep without a shepherd in that part of the world is soon to be dead. A sheep without a shepherd in Australia, as long as it's in a fenced-in paddock with water, is liable to get in all sorts of trouble but probably not die. You may have read... uh, Recently in the Herald, there was an article, a little report from Turkey, and a whole village has lost, had lost all its sheep. They don't know, they're all sort of in a paddock together, and hundreds of them died because something scared one of them, and it took off. And I thought only lemmings did this. This particular sheep went over a very steep cliff. And all the geniuses, the entire flock, followed it over the cliff. Right? And in the end, the first couple of hundred died, but after that they survived. They were a bit shaken up because they had a soft landing. Um, and it was a tragedy for the sheep. But, you know, whole flocks of big sheep can be frightened by a flipping rabbit. A little wabbit runs along and they go, oh, oh, good, panic. And all the geniuses get up and follow them. They're very unimpressive animals, I think. They're very anxious animals. They're nearsighted. Uh, they don't like being in dark and shady places. And the Bible consistently says that's what you're like. Uh, now, of course, I don't feel like a sheep. I, I'm, I don't like to think of my, I'm not really a herd animal. In fact, my perversity is if the herd's going that way, I want to go that way, by, by definition, uh, which is probably straight into trouble. But uh, that's... But this writer rejoices in being a sheep. He's, he's, he speaks of himself as if he's a sheep. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He just assumes he's a sheep. Now, he's obviously a weakling, unlike yourself. He's obviously the sort of psychological sort of Nancy boy who needs a, a sort of an imaginary friend who thinks he's going to protect him and won't. So he's just looking after himself. But then, of course, you see it's a psalm of David. This is King David. Now, uh, we might have a picture of King David we've got from the history books. There he is. That's David. Um, that's a dead set replica because um, that Italian uh, sculptor knew exactly what David looked like. But he, he's a pretty impressive looking guy in the picture because he was a very impressive man, David. He was an alpha male, you know, on steroids before there were steroids. Uh, As a young man, looked after his father's herds of sheep and had fought successfully with a bear and had killed a lion. 
That's pretty impressive. He was good with the ladies. They liked him. He was a good-looking guy. As a sort of a senior teen, he beat a professional warrior who was about a metre or so taller than him. He was not a weakling. He was not a psychological cripple. And he was a man who had a life full of experience who wrote this psalm, the Lord being his shepherd. Uh, He'd been hunted down both as a young man and as an old man by death squads. For months and months and months he'd had those experiences. Um, He'd fought battles, one-on-one, small groups, all sorts of things. Uh, His first wife died. One of his first children died. Uh, Later on in life, one of his daughters was raped. And later on, one of his sons was murdered. This is not a guy who's lived a sheltered life. This is a strong warrior, leader, alpha male, yet he is wise enough to speak of himself as a sheep. And what he's doing is more than just admitting it. He's boasting. This is like sheep David has gone down to the pub or wherever it is that sheep go to socialise and he's bragging about his shepherd uh, because a sheep with a good shepherd is going to have a good life. A sheep with a crap shepherd is going to have a dodgy life. A sheep without a shepherd is a short-lived sheep. And that's what he writes here about the Lord being my shepherd. So it's all caught up in the relationship. In fact, this is kind of a one pylon uh, psalm. Uh, The first five words are the key. Better take that nude picture off. It might be distracting people. Good. Just because it's so much more handsome than I am. But... um, The first five words are the key, the the foundation. Because what the Bible, when it talks about peace, where do you find real security, real good reason for confidence in a shaky world? What our culture will do is either send you off to a drug and a substance, either legally or illegally, or give you a technique. Um, What Jesus does is he says, let me completely restructure your entire view of the universe and yourself. It's bigger, it's deeper, it's stronger, it's more resilient and it's based on reality. And it's this relationship, the first five words, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, he's, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace for very good reason. But if he's not your prince, if, if he is not your shepherd, if you are not his sheep, because the idea, that one of the fundamental relationships is the sheep go where the shepherd takes them. If you're not in that relationship, this peace is a distant possibility to you. There's no technique here. I mean, you can go away and do deep breathing and find a serene-looking place, and that's, that's all going to help, and it will help. Get some good counselling. But this is a different order altogether. Jesus is the shepherd. Well, here, what David says is, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is the personal name for the God of Israel, Yahweh. Um, I am who I am. This extraordinarily profound, um, in terms of philosophy, uh, for what's considered the primitive document, that God is the I am the self-defining, self-sustaining one. And then Jesus has the cheek, as you can see in the passage underneath it. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. It's no wonder at the end of chapter 10, once again, his contemporaries who are his fellow Jews are trying to kill him. Uh, No prophet says, I am the good shepherd. The prophet says, let me point you to the good shepherd. But Jesus calmly says, I am the good shepherd. How good is he? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, not normally. The good shepherd may, like David, risk his life, but to actually die for your sheep, that's kind of crazy. But that is actually what God is like, as we'll see next week if you can get along. Jesus goes on to say, My sheep hear my voice. That's the defining character. They listen. They hear his voice. I know them. They know me. 
I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. I entered the relationship with Jesus when I was 19. I didn't think of myself as a shepherd, a sheep with a shepherd. I just understood it was flipping all true and he was too big to fight with. Um, so it was just, you've got to go with the flow at that point or you suffer. Um, I'm surprised and delighted to find, caught up in being Christian, uh, this business of being in a relationship that really does generate enormous peace and well-being. Um, so it all hangs from these first five words. And then he goes on to make, just in brief, three great statements. He has, well, you can see it there. Um, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. First one, I shall not want provision. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Protection. And the last, the very last statement in the psalm, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Promise. It's one of the things that meditation will never do for us in the way that most people do it. That is, it will never bring us to a sense we can look not only at life with some serenity, but actually at the question of eternity. Because you're a long time dead. And to not have that question looked at honestly, with courage, means that there will be an, 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 a gnawing discomfort because that concern about eternity won't go away. So let's have a look at this briefly. The Lord is my shepherd, the great pylon that holds the whole bridge up. Logically, David says, I shall not want. I have all that I need. I am well looked after. I will be provided for. So I know that although you know my financial plan, which I don't have and must get one one day, would be appalled to see my financial situation. I'm okay. In all sorts of ways, because the Lord is my shepherd. Financially, relationally, emotionally, physically, I'm okay. The shepherd will look after me. Not uh, Because shepherds are odd things. It's hard for us to get what a shepherd does. A shepherd is like a doctor for the sheep. They really are. A shepherd is the guide they know where to go when. They know when you need to leave this pasture and move up because this pasture is about to die. They're the guide. They're the protector when needed. That's an all-purpose thing. And uh, so Jesus makes it clear that he will, he will provide all our needs. And when we get anxious, it's one of the lovely things people don't get at Christianity, the, the way when, when a person gets anxious, what does Jesus answer in Matthew 6? Think. Right? Think. Think who you're dealing with. Consider. Read in Matthew 6 when he's dealing with his disciples' anxiety. They're worried about having food because they've left their livelihood to follow him. They've got good reason to be anxious. Some of them have got wives and families. And Jesus says, consider. Uh, let's, let's reflect on the shepherd. That's what Jesus says. So he says, all of our needs will be met. So much so, he says, that he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, sheep don't normally lie down. You may like to think, have you ever seen sheep lying down? It's not common. The scholars... In fact, a number of shepherds have written books on this, just whole books on this psalm, say that the, the, in, in the Middle East, sheep need four things, probably need it in most cultures, before they'll ever lie down. They need to know they've got enough food. They need to be fear-free. Nothing that makes it, because if they're slightly anxious, they're on their feet so they can run, any old witch they'll do. They need to have plenty of food, fear-free, friction-free. They've got to have butting rights worked out. Uh, this might sound like your office. There are sheep, a herd of sheep know what order they're in, who gets the best grass. And if there's any doubt in the butting order, that they'll never lie down. There needs to be a level of harmony in the herd. And lastly, flies apparently. They're these flies that lay, their, in the, they lay these sort of larvae in the um, nose of the sheep. It doesn't hurt the sheep, but it really irritates them. So shepherds have got this oil, which David refers to later, 
which is made up in, in the Middle East, they still use it. It's made of olives, sulfur, and a bit of spices, which they put on the sheep's nose to deal with it. So sheep need to be really content. It's a rare thing to see a sheep lying down. David said, the Lord's my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Besides, still water. Sheep get nervy. Besides, they're not white water creatures. They don't like noisy streams because they understand if they fall in, they're dead. Um, they just, so he's confident. He moves on in verse 4, and here he starts, he changes from bragging about the shepherd to talking to the shepherd. Verses 4 and 5, he speaks about his um, enemies, threats. We all have threats. We all have things that we are frightened of happening, even if we don't talk about them. The Lord is my shepherd, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, it would be nice to spend weeks in this, but we can't. The thing that sheep hate is shadows. They don't like walking through shadowy valleys, but they have to at times to get from where there's grass here this week, but they won't be next to The wise shepherd will take them somewhere else. At times, he will lead us through nightmarish valleys. And David at this point, as a sheep, says, even when I have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, where death seems to be threatening, either the reality of physical death, either the death of a loved one who you can not stand the thought of them dying or your own potential death through health or accident or whatever when death's so close or maybe it's just economic death or your vain images of yourself about to die or a relationship that seems so important about to die he says when I go through the valley of the shadow of death I don't fear any evil nothing's going to harm me now, I don't want the Bible to say that. What I want the Bible to say is, if I trust God, he, he, I won't have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. He'll, get me to, he'll fly me over it. That's for other people. But that is exactly what the Bible never, ever promises you. In fact, it promises you, if you do put your faith in Jesus and trust him, you will go through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't say, if I go through the valley. He says, when I go through it. And one of my other favorite passages in the Bible speaks about this. says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, God says. When you, pass, when you have to walk through the fire, you will not be burned, for I will, I will be with you. You are promised that you'll go through hardship and hard times, things that you think, this is the end of my life. Surely God has forgotten me. If there's a God who's good and I put my trust in, why am I doing here? He never promises you. Uh, a, a pain-free life. In fact, I think as a Christian, you probably go through more pain for a number of reasons. But what he promised you, it won't do you any harm. So a couple of years ago, I went through, if I was the queen, I would have called it my anus horribilis or something like that. I went through a year or so that was just a series of unthinkable catastrophes. And uh, it was, wasn't just one thing, this happened, and then this happened, and this happened. I'm thinking, man, this can't go on. Now, a few more came on. Uh, and it was, you know... But in the middle of it, I was aware that I was relatively at ease. I was crying. I was pretty cranky about some of the stuff that had happened. But because I knew in the end, this is exactly what God has promised me. And I understand I'll probably have worse years. I think that's just the reality of life. Right? This is a beautiful but broken place. And you can spend a lot of time getting angry when things haven't gone right and normally blaming everyone else and taking little responsibility ourselves. Or you can go through it as King David does through his horror times and say, well... This is the valley of the shadow of death, but it won't hurt me. God is restoring our souls. I don't know how your soul's going, but it says that Jesus is said in verse 3, He restores my soul. Well, God is our protector. 
Um, I'd like to say more on that, but I won't. Thirdly, we have a promise. The Lord is my shepherd, and he says at the very end, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. This is probably David using an image with the shepherd is out the front. It's the opposite of farming in the sheep farming in Australia, where the drover sits at the back, asleep on his horse, while the dogs do a bit of work. Uh, in Palestine, if you've got 10 sheep, you've got a big flock, hundreds, heaps. Um, the shepherd will normally be at the front and the dogs will be at the back, keeping the sheep. And the picture seems to be that the dogs are called goodness and mercy and they're keeping you close. So he says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right. He dares to look honestly at the, the unavoidable question, not just of the mess-ups and the joys of this life, but the eternity which drums away. And he says, I know I'll be welcomed into his house. He is my shepherd. I'm getting to know him as friend, as Lord and master, restorer of my soul, the one who is present with me when everyone else deserts me. And he will welcome me into eternal dwellings. Provision, protection and promise. He's a fairly good shepherd. Um, Well, I guess for us to ponder this is in the end, it all hangs on this great pillar there are great i mean i love bridges i like the anzac bridge it's got two great big pylons but there are bridges i've seen pictures of not quite as big and as grand as that one that have one huge pylon from which all the wires hang and it's that first statement the lord is my shepherd until you know that all this is just so much chatter isn't it because all the reality of the protection and the reality of the provision and the reality of the promise is only for those who've entered that relationship Christianity does not offer techniques for instant feel better. You can get that in other places. It offers you a relationship with a God who is big and loving and dies for his sheep, as we'll see next week. And it's out of that that it comes. Um, I remember the story of a, a Scottish minister who was visiting the house of a young boy who was dying and there was not much the doctors could do and he was in and out of consciousness and his parents being Christians, as you know, death... Uh, Being Christian does not make death easier. In some ways, it makes certain sorts of deaths harder. It's not all about comfort. Um, But his parents were concerned if the boy had his faith in Jesus, so he'd be welcomed. Um, And when he died, the minister came to the house immediately and they talked, wept. And they said, we're just puzzled about something because when he died, he was holding his ring finger, the the finger in his left hand. And the, the pastor, Reverend Anderson said that what he'd done was he'd been talking to the boy about this psalm and he did it like this, the Lord is my shepherd. And he said the crucial thing is that you can say the word my with integrity. That's the the secret to peace. And apparently the boy died indicating where his hope and faith was. If we're not in that relationship, there is no peace. Uh, At least no deep, resilient peace. The fact is, like it or not, you are a sheep. You will find for yourself shepherds, friends, institutions, superannuation funds, medical funds, all sorts of things that are supposed to protect you and in some secondary way they might. But for any depth, it's this relationship that the alpha male David found as a young man and as an old man and all the way through life. I'll stop there so we've got some time for questions. Thanks, Ian. If you do have any questions or comments, 
please write them on the slip of paper that you should have found in, inside your program. Write those down quickly. Any questions or comments about the talk and Geoffrey will circulate, just hold them up and Geoffrey will grab them. While he's doing that, a few things coming up. Next Monday night, there's a dinner and a talk for young city workers. It, uh, it will be held in the City Bible Forum office, which is down near Martin Place. I'm sure that the food will be good. I'm sure that the talk will be good. So if you consider yourself a young city worker, this is for you or your friends. And if you'd like more information about that, you could speak to uh, Tor, just stand up for a minute, and ja or Janet there. <laughs> okay. Secondly, inside your program you'll see a card. There's a big event at the Sydney Entertainment Centre on Wednesday the 31st of August. All the details are on that card which will point you to a website. Two great speakers and about uh, 10,000 people gathering there to listen to those speakers. Thirdly, in five weeks' time, City Bible Forum is going away on a weekend called The Difference Jesus Makes up in the beautiful Blue Mountains, warm in spring. Uh, just to let you know today that there's a special deal for families on that weekend. So we have purposefully subsidised children and children are actually below cost on that weekend. So we're, we're encouraging couples, we're encouraging families as well as single people to come away on that weekend, but families are welcome. The only tra um, trap is that there's limited rooms for families. So if you did want to come and bring your family, you'd need to get in and, and register quick. If you want details about that weekend away for you or a friend that you'd like to bring along, there's details up on the back table. All right, well, I'll hand back to Ian to um, answer those questions. And Ian actually is going away on the weekend away with us, and he's just going to tell us quickly what he's looking forward to. Uh. I love the Blue Mountains. I haven't been there for some time, so I'm looking forward to getting away to the mountains. Uh, I think Al Stewart, who's doing most of the talks, is one of the finest Bible teachers I've ever heard in my life and also interesting. And um, I'm just also looking forward to hanging out with friends there. Um, now, here's three questions. Your anecdote about the Swedish sheep sounds just like the stock market, sadly. Proof that we are more like sheep than we realise. I think that's true. I mean, I think the more I read about the stock market, and I, I've, I've, I, have, I find the world of finance fascinating. I'm not involved in it, but it, it does sound bizarre. And to think that some of these people get paid large money uh, to get to give advice is quite extraordinary. When I don't want to be rude. I mean, I, we, I, it, it's it's a very helpful thing, but the way in which it behaves is appallingly sheep-like. It's all done on sentiment, as far as I can tell. Um, but you may want to correct me. I'm, I'm always happy to learn about stuff like that. Um, now, why do you distort and debilitate Christ's words by equating claim, by equating his words with the Psalm of David? Well, if we had more time, I think, when, I think the, the question is concerned with my putting John 10 and saying that uh, Jesus is picking, claiming to be the shepherd. And uh, I think that's clearly the way in which his contemporaries hear it because when one of the great pictures that the Jewish people had and have of God is as the shepherd of Israel, which is picked up in quite a lot of books. And um, 
many of the prophets will speak that Israel needs to go back to its shepherd. They're like sheep that have gone astray, each turning to their own way. And the call is to return to the shepherd. And so when Jesus stands up and says, I am the good shepherd, um, it's hard for us to get the significance of that. But in, in his own time, and anyone, if you've read, been, if you come from the Old Testament through to Jesus, which is the natural way to do it, it's, it is an unthinkable claim. It's like when Jesus says, I am the light. Because the Old Testament will speak about God is our light. No human prophet ever says, I am the light. Jesus says, I am the light. And then two chapters later, he says, I am the good shepherd. Uh, and he speaks about people who enter his flock, which I did when I was 19, not thinking of myself as a sheep, but discovering later on I was. Um, that's the relationship. But the, and the key thing for any anxious sheep is to do what King David does is and to focus on the nature and the qualifications of the shepherd. Faith in Jesus is easy if you know him. And panicky sheep at times... It, it, it's an interesting question that scholars do. Did David write this psalm in a time when he was lying in green grass, when life was great? Uh, we don't know exactly the time he wrote it. My own hunch is he probably wrote it when he was being hunted down again by death squads and had to go as a refugee to a neighbouring country that hated him that he used to be at war with. Uh, I think it's probably in a time of distress he wrote this because what you need to do in order to enjoy the peace of God that passes all understanding, as the New Testament rightly describes it, is to argue the shepherd against the thing that makes you anxious. It is one of the wisest things I've learned from an old man now dead, sadly. He said, don't listen to yourself. Speak to yourself. Speak to yourself about the realities of the shepherd. Your fears will talk and bubble away and kill you. Uh, but speak to yourself if you know the shepherd or you want to begin to know the shepherd of the shepherd. That's why I think David wrote the psalm. It's not a bad thing if you're an anxious person to learn this psalm off by heart. Um, it's, a, it's a great bit of... I mean, you learn your phone... Oh, actually, I don't know my phone number. Oh, I, don't, I almost do. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of stuff we learn. Um, I know my bank code for net banking. I know that. Um, but you know, why not learn something strong? Lastly, and could you please explain verse 5? You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. It is an odd statement. Um, David goes from the, the nightmare scenario for the sheep of the valley of the shadows of death and then speaks about enemies. And he had enemies. You may have enemies. You may think of some of your own personal weaknesses as your enemies. Uh, that's not uh, unrealistic. But David had enemies at quite a few periods who were hunting him down to kill him. And what you don't do is sit down and have a meal with your enemies. David lived for years in caves, hiding, etc. And he's saying, even when I'm being hunted down by my enemies, God will spread a table for me. Uh, he will, because the, the idea of eating a meal is a picture of relaxing and enjoying friendship. And it's the great picture of heaven is that great banquet in heaven. So I think there he's, he's going to the second of the nightmares and says, even in the very presence of my enemies, those who are hunting me down to kill me, uh, you'll enable me to eat. And that beautiful picture, you anoint my head with oil, which may be the standard Middle Eastern thing. If you're an honoured guest, you'd have oil uh, put on your head to sort of moisturise your skin, Clinique, uh, dramatically different oil. Um, and then the picture of the cup running over. So much beautiful, perfect Shiraz poured by the hand of God that it's pouring out of the cup. So it's a picture of abundant provision. Uh, thank you. Next week, love. Right? Um, a love that's worth living and dying for, far beyond platitudes and passion and the movie. Thanks. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum.
For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.